0: And now, The Ropes. There's
1: no easy way
0: out. Welcome to The Ropes. I am Rafe Bartholomew from grantland.com and I am here with Brian Campbell, Mr. ESPN. He loves weather, he likes beautiful people, he respects box he, he, he talks boxing Connecticut style. Brian Campbell from ESPN.com. Welcome, man. It's great to be back. I'm excited to be talking to you. We got some cool stuff planned today. Uh, why don't you let him know?
1: Absolutely, Rafe. Great, great comeback show for us. I mean, we're swinging hard. We're going Triple G all the time here. Uh, we got Triple G's trainer, Abel Sanchez Golovkin, fresh off that sixth round TKO of Willie Monroe Jr. last weekend uh, in front of a raucous 12,000 crowd. You know, it was full on Mexican style. We're going to have Abel break that down. We're also going to talk to Golovkin's opponent in that fight, Willie Monroe Jr., who has some very interesting things to say about, about facing Golovkin and facing that kind of challenge. It's going to be a heck of a show, but Rafe, let's not bury the lead here. Are you on a- american soil you were you were tour, You were on a tour of southeast asia for like three to four weeks you're alive you're back you're I, you, what do you you know you got any scars what happened I'm back in the motherland i
0: do have some facial scars i uh, i went head to head with a rock at one point in time um <laughs> and depending on how you want to gauge victory um I, I you could say i won uh because i'm still here uh the scars are light you know it looks like uh it looks a little bit like sunburn so we're good on that account uh i uh, i took my anti-worm medicine before i got on the plane to come back so i'm not carrying any parasites and i'm coming back with uh three weeks of beautiful memories of uh revisiting uh the philippines watching the mayweather pacquiao fight there and and getting that experience which wasn't exactly a jubilant one but uh it's something i'll remember for a long time and then getting a chance to travel around the country which is something i haven't done since i was living there in 2008 so man it was a great time but uh i'm happy to be back here and back with the not dead sport of boxing
1: well, while you were away, while you were unplugged for a while, touring the globe, uh, boxing ain't dead, hashtag, because, if, you know, the, the besides, despite the backlash that came off of Mayweather Pacquiao, there's been some good news and reviews coming out about, you know, boxing just continuing to peak in, the, in recent weeks, whether it was the fact that Mayweather Pacquiao itself, with the pay-per-view numbers getting released for the first time, Rafe, 4.4 million buys? Like, are you kidding me?
0: That's, that's serious. That's, that's double what, uh, is, is that double what, uh, the, no, it's almost it's double what Canelo and Floyd did.
1: 2.45 million was the Oscar and Floyd fight from 2007. Two point two. Was Canelo and Floyd 4.4 million? Like, are you kidding me?
0: That's, I, I mean, I think most people pegged it as coming in somewhere between three and four, closer to three million before the fight. So uh, I'm sure that uh, Al, Mr. Al Heyman, Mr. Bob Arum, and Mr. Uh, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, Michael Kahn's, Boo Boy, the whole, all the crews are very happy with those numbers. Oh,
1: man, dude, counting them rocks. Like, I mean, the the numbers are just – the dollars are just absurd, whether you enjoyed Maypack or not. It showed you that people still care about boxing when when it's at its highest level, when they're presenting a a matchup that people want to see, and it carried over into the next week. Now, whether or not this was, you know, helped exclusively by the fact that we we saw the Mayweather-Pacquiao replay on both HBO and Showtime, either way, when Canelo Alvarez came back the next week and knocked out James Kirkland in a three-round war, we saw the highest cable rating since 2006 in a fight that – that peaked at almost two point three million. Well, actually, Rafe.
0: you mean what you mean is when James Kirkland returned, right? I mean, is oh has got. I mean, he had. It's too bad he uh, he ended up being knocked out brutally by Canelo because, man, what a star! But people just love that. The guy. The
1: hate, the hate. I mean, it's oh. bro time at the Apollo here with you. The hate, you know. Come on, let me get the hook All out. Right.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, okay, Sam, I feel you. Uh, Canelo, let's give him credit. He he he's he is definitely a star. When when did it happen? It's, it's interesting because he's been off HBO for, for a while, and that's sort of the, the it, because of its uh, subscription numbers, tends to be the, the yardstick by which we, we measure uh, premium cable fights. And this is a huge HBO number. Uh, when, how did it happen? Was it, was it fighting on pay-per-view against Mayweather? Uh, he hadn't been on regular Showtime for a long time when he was over on that side either. When, how did it turn into such a, a Canelo movement and, and man, and ah. I. Why was I well, left behind?
1: <laughs> well, it was back-to-back Showtime pay-per-views for him coming Angulo? off of that Mayweather fight. You know, Angulo and Lara. Yeah, I mean, and I think people were sick of seeing him against slow boxers like a Trout, like a Lara, who wouldn't bring out the best in him. But, man, they got an opponent this time around. He's back on HBO. It was an opponent that you knew he was going to have to fight against. And, man, I mean, did that come through with a strong rating? Did it come through with a fun performance that I think did so much for furthering Canelo's brand as we move on? Because, you know, people have Longed for so long to see him have to fight, to see him you know live up to sort of the stereotype of the Mexican warrior, which we talked about canelo isn 't necessarily, but this was a time when he sort of had to show those qualities and those intangibles and man he, he obviously passed with flying colors.
0: Yeah, I think we we're still waiting to see him come up and 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 get really tested uh in, in by in, sort of like in a metal terms, but in terms of his metal. Uh but, you know, M- speaking of metal, up, like, metal like Slayer, yeah, metal, like... yeah and I want to see can he does he know his Metallica? Does yeah. he know his Rat? Uh you know, I mean, you put him in a room with Beavis and Butthead who's coming out, you know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no but moving on uh to a guy who claims to fight mexican style uh, we love i mean these boxing fans you know probably has the highest approval rating among hardcore boxing fans Gennady Golovkin fought. Uh, William Monroe Jr. this week, uh, this past week on HBO, uh, also did very impressive numbers, although not reaching like Canelo Heights. Uh, but my God, Golovkin, uh, what a what a what is another crazy dominant performance. I mean, some maybe some vulnerabilities in there, but man, another knockout win 20 in a row. I mean, a guy just leaves yeah. me, stumbling sometimes. I
1: mean, this guy is unbelievable. I mean, he, a new a new resident of Southern California, as he moved his family there, he just basically stood in the ring and was like, "Welcome to the Brotel, California." You know, I mean, you know, such a lovely place. This is the best drama show <laughs> since really like the first three seasons of 90210. Only you don't have to be embarrassed to, to tell people how much you enjoy this because every time he fights, it doesn't matter who he fights. Of course, Rafe, we're just getting excitement. We're getting that conclusion of the knockout, and that's the difference. You know, that guarantee that you're going to see him go toe to toe against somebody and he's more or less guaranteed with his 20th straight knockout that he's going to there's going to be a resolution there's going to be a finality to it he delivers in ways that that other fighters just you know don't and he does it with the smile on his face he does it with the the catchy catchphrases afterwards in the post fight interviews which are really almost as exciting as the fight themselves and i mean this is like yeah, he's not fighting the guys we want to, but this is almost like John Cena's open challenge with the U.S. title right now in WWE. I mean, each time we see him, he's consistent. Every three months, we're seeing him. He's like a quarterly draw for fans and HBO alike, and we're getting that excitement. I, I'm not gonna push the hey, he's got to fight this guy. He's got to fight this guy. It's just a fun ride.
0: I'm I'm yo know, I'm enjoying it. The thing at this point, twenty knockouts in a row. A lot of the fighters that. People want to see him in. They expect him to knock out even the big names, except I think with the the obvious exception being a potential Andre Ward fight. That would be much more uh, people would be a lot more divided on how that one would come out. But the question is at middleweight at 160 pounds, if he you know stays at the division and completes this quest to unify and clean it out uh, with all the titles, can any other fighter in that division even take his power? Does he? Do no one
1: think? at no one at 160 can take his power, and and I'll make a strong argument. That I think the guy who has the best chance to put on a good fight against him is Canelo because he sort of does these things. He's got great size. You know, he's defensive minded. He can counter punch he does all those things. But in theory, nobody at 160 pounds can take this guy's power, which means that Golovkin's power becomes the great equalizer. This term I'm throwing around this week talking about. It. It's the great equalizer in the division because, Rafe, even if we get a guy in there when, when Golovkin finally does the reach the elite level, when, when, when he finally, excuse me when he finally faces an elite opponent, even if that opponent exceeds expectations and puts on certain levels of performance that we didn't think they could or that we didn't think they would, it's still going to fall back on this question. Can they go 12 rounds taking this guy's power? Because whatever success you have against Golovkin, you pay a hefty price to have that success. And I just don't see a guy wired enough to take that kind of beating and still be able to get off their punches for 12 rounds and have success. And I think in this fight against Monroe, we saw a guy who did exceed expectations to a certain degree, did find avenues of success we didn't see there, You know, and I commend Willie Monroe for some of the things he did, but in the end, it was very inevitable that he wasn't going to be able to stand the distance either. And when you looked at this fight against Monroe, did you think that Willie exceeded expectations? Did you think that Triple G let him hang around? Did you see a gas Triple G? What did you see to make this fight a little closer for a short season than we thought it would be?
0: Well, so I think Monroe at first, for me, actually, was fighting beneath my expectations. That he was, you know, he, we'd seen him box well against a number of opponents. And, you know, ESPN's ESPN Friday Night's Boxino Tournament. Uh, we, 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 You know, he was he was a guy we expected to be able to move and box a little. And maybe, maybe force Golovkin to 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 work a little harder to to get to him and and start landing those power shots. Instead, the first two rounds, Golovkin just wiped him out almost. And in the fight, he almost he almost knocked him out in the second round with the two knockdowns that that Monroe bravely survived. Uh, Then Monroe sort of exceeded expectations when you could have written him off and just said this guy is is you know a a sitting duck. Uh, He came back and really fought back hard. A lot of uh, – most TV – people, people watching on television thought that Monroe even won the fourth round against Golovkin Absolutely. before eventually getting uh, worn down and knocked out, uh, but – so he's, I think at first I was a little disappointed. Then I was just impressed by the heart and the the fighting spirit and, and the, the way he was willing to change his, his the way he fought. You know, he started off trying to box. It was a disaster. And so he stood toe-to-toe and, and pushed Golovkin back a little bit, landed some shots, and at least made people want to see Willie Monroe Jr. again and made, made him look like a guy who could give other top middleweights uh, a, a good fight and maybe beat them as well. So, you know, overall he exceeded expectations, although he kind of came beneath my what I was hoping in terms of just a, a slick boxing that, that that he was pitched as.
1: But in the end though, like we talked about, in the end Golovkin's just a brosciopath. I mean he's just like, you know, for all the smiles that he does he's a killer in the ring and there's just nobody at 160 that's going to be able to get through that. And I thought it was a little bit interesting in the, in the post-fight interview when Golovkin sort of intimated that he let him hang around. I don't know if I believe that enough, you know, whatever, how much of that was true, but he sort of said that he let him hang around so the fight didn't go quote-unquote only five minutes long. And it was like the first little sign of like a little heel turn or something coming out of Golovkin because Rave, they do these press luncheons. I attended a Golovkin press luncheon in New York City the, the day of the, of the uh, Klitschko-Jennings fight, you know, a, m- a month or two ago. I'm sitting across from Gennady, you know, you're eating a free steak dinner. It's one of the you know one of the best boondoggles in boxing that you can get. But I'm, I'm just asking Gennady questions, I'm listening to him talk, asking his team, his promoter, his trainer. It was like the first moment I just sort of it just clicked. I'm like. This guy is perfect, meaning the way that they portray him, he's absolutely perfect. He says the right things about everybody. He answers every question respectfully. He, he In the ring, he's almost flawless. It was almost like I couldn't find the flaw on this guy. But do you think there's any element of him that could produce enough of a heel turn that might try to draw the opponents in a little trash talking, a little something to sort of break out of this happy-go-lucky, smiley, good boy mode, which has taken him so far, but is not going to be enough to maybe convince a guy right away to take the challenge of getting in the ring with him?
0: Well, there's a couple of things going on there. I mean, I, for for one, you know, this guy is uh, Golovkin is is a confident man, right? I mean, he's a Olymp- he's an Olympian. He was a he was, you know silver medalist in the Olympics. Uh, you know, he's a decorated amateur. He's knocked out 20 people in a row. If he does not have a a, a strain of arrogance in him, then he's not human. Uh, so I'm sure there's more to him than the sort of you know glazed uh, you know like like I don't know glazed half. I hate to say it because it was a Kazakh character, but this glazed Borat character, no, come was on. super happy. Uh, you know, great success. I, there's there's a lot more to him than that. I'm sure there is a much you know a side of him that knows exactly how good he is and and is proud of it because as, as I think anyone rightfully should feel. Uh, he's been very good at presenting himself and and, and also on top of the, in, in this interview when he he said he's maybe carrying Monroe or suggested that. Um, you know, I, that's something that – I don't know if I totally buy that. I think Monroe did some things to to, to, to earn you know, earn his uh, his keep in, in those rounds where he was not being knocked out.
1: Uh, and it was just a first sign of arrogance, though. It was a first sign of like – But he you – know,
0: I, I don't think – I don't think Golovkin is yet in totally uh, control of of what he is expressing. You know, I think that's sort of why he, at least in English, you know, and that's that's understandable. He's learning the language. We're watching him learn the language on the fly, uh, and you know, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's an enjoyable experience, and and I think fans would actually probably prefer to see him sort of be let loose to make a few more mistakes and 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 be a little more interesting and. and instead of being sort of so closely managed and given like you know four lines gotta say big drama show every time now um, and so I'm
1: saying think, he wanted to grab the mic and tell Canelo I've stolen your fan base
0: uh, yo I, I, I wouldn't mind it uh, you know uh, but I think his, his response to Max Kellerman's question about when to fight Canelo was was very strong and, yes. and that was the thing that was the takeaway moment for me is when and the fans loved it and people were just like no Max right now you know not future <laughs> now
1: um, <laughs> Um, Donnie Brosco, it was his first you know, first time getting gangster. That was great, you know? You know,
0: you know he's. he's uh, but yeah, he's. A little bit of arrogance doesn't bother me. Um. I, you know, and in terms of getting guys in the ring, I don't think he's going to trash talk anyone into the ring with him. I mean, he the people, fighters fight for money and and they fight for their for for opportunities to win and their future career prospects. And there aren't too many guys who are just wired like uh, Captain Insano or something to to run in there. I don't know if there are any Waterboy fans out there, uh, but um, you know. Yeah, I don't know how many fighters are – are are, are pl- how – what it takes to get someone in the ring with, with Golovkin. All he's doing, he's he – keep winning, keep knocking people out, keep building himself into a star and make it so they can't say no. And I don't think talking, you know, one way or another is going to make a difference in that. Uh,
1: we're looking at a brovember to remember if we get Canelo Cotto, but it's still going to be Triple G as the guy sitting on the sidelines. Miguel Unless Cotto he, you know. fights
0: once every five years. I mean, like, when like when does he want to fight Golovkin? He's going to get to him, like, you know, in – 2040 and you know forget this guy
1: so you're saying it's okay we can turn on Cotto now we can finally do the, the full turn on him for hijacking the middleweight title and just you know as a junior middleweight and not fighting for a year and not defending it and then taking on Golovkin sloppy seconds it's okay
0: yeah I look I want the I want wherever they wherever you know Cotto fights Canelo I want a like the state of Texas or Nevada or New York or, or whoever gets it I want them to to pass Antonio Margarito in as a referee. Just sanction him for one fight only and let him go in there and and just, you know, amp up the fear on Cotto.
1: Now that's realer than real deal it right? <laughs> um,
0: all right. Well, look, man, we're, we're talking a lot about uh, Gennady Golovkin, but rather than us continue just sort of, Making crazy Adam Sandler references and bro jokes about the whole thing. Uh, we were lucky enough to to be talking to two people who know Golovkin pretty well, a lot better than we do. His trainer Abel Sanchez and uh, William Monroe Jr. A little later. So first, let's go into this interview with Abel Sanchez, and we'll be back after that.
1: And we are pleased to welcome in on the ropes the trainer of unbeaten middleweight titleist Gennady Golovkin Abel Sanchez, who of course has his own gym, the Summit in Big Bear, California. Abel, welcome to the ropes. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Uh, thank you for having me, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure, Mike.
0: So Abel, this is uh, Rafe Bartholomew talking. Uh, I just you know just to start us off. Um, can you give us your overall impressions of Gennady's performance on Saturday night against in the in the knockout win over Willie Monroe Jr.? You know, there some people said that uh, he may have shown, you know, Gennady could have shown a little more vulnerability than in previous fights. Uh, did you feel the same way, or you think it was a, another dominant performance? It uh, kind of was.
2: No, I thought that the first couple rounds were exactly what uh, I had planned for him, exactly what we spoke about. But I think that after he knocked him down in the second round, I think in his mind he didn't want to... He didn't want to end the fight in the second round. He wanted to work some rounds, and and Willie was a uh, I uh, was still aggressive. So uh, Gennady maybe took a little, put up a little off the gas and, and allowed the fight to go on a little bit. But uh, uh, I, I was satisfied with what he did. He practiced a lot of things we uh, we did in the gym. So um, so those things we're gonna need in the future. So it, it was a good fight.
1: There's a thought process here, Abel, from some people that. Gennady taking the foot off the gas pedal potentially, you know, could be something that helps him down the road if it gives the illusion that he's maybe more able to hit than people thought coming in. I now mean, do you see any truth to that from your side of the, the way things stand? You know, uh, we've never
2: discussed that. But so Gennady's a very intelligent person inside and outside the ring. Uh, he's one of the promoters of the shows. He's been a promoter for a while of his own and some other fighters. So he's an intelligent person, uh, knows a little bit about marketing, knows a, a heck of a lot about what's going to entice uh, those guys that don't want to get in a ring with him. And if that was his intention, I think that he uh, uh, he got uh, that done uh, partly. Uh, I don't like to see that. Uh, if I can get out of there in two rounds, I'd rather get out of there in two rounds. But uh, he understands the business end of it, and uh, I believe that that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why if he did do that, that's why it was done.
0: Uh, Abel, I wanted to ask uh, sort of along the same lines. There was sort of a shift, uh, a minor shift in the fight after the first two rounds in which Gennady seemed particularly dominant in in the first two. I mean, especially in the way he was – his defense looked fantastic. He he was you know, really slipping a lot of punches on on top of doing his sort of normal uh, cutting off the ring and and landing big punches, of course, getting the two knockdowns. Uh, Then after the knockdowns, did did, did it also seem as if he became uh, maybe – too focused on, uh, on on sort of stalking Monroe after that, and, and that might have also l- opened him up for some of the the clean punches he took in that process? Well, the
2: stalking, the stalking is part part of what we do here in the gym. The stalking is, is – is the reason he's stalking is, is he's using his legs. Mm-hmm. He's using his legs to try to position himself in a, in a place where he's going to be able to land those punches. He may not have thrown those punches because maybe it would have been a significant punch and maybe would have hurt Monroe, but uh, – but uh, the punches that he did throw in the third and in the fourth and in the fifth round were, were, were having a big effect on, on Willie. Uh, not only the body shots and the, and, and the shots right at the belt line and, and, on, and the kidneys uh, weakened Willie. I think it, it, it was more uh, just trying to wear Willie down just so that the opportunity for the sixth round, as it was, uh, came about. Uh, that pressure that he puts on these guys, is not only physically but very mentally uh, uh, exhausting. Uh, So, uh, yes, he did take a couple shots. Uh, I didn't particularly like that, but uh, he didn't seem to be bothered by it. Uh, But if he he was having the effect, I'm willing that he was looking for
1: Abel, I think the fact that you know that we're even talking about you know a round and a half, maybe where another <laughs> opponent was able to land a couple clean shots on Gennady, just really speaks to to his greatness in this short period of time he's been on top of the middleweight division. I, I mean, the fact that you know we're, we're we're splitting hairs trying to find moments where maybe he didn't do something right, but what do you think that Monroe did well though in those pockets to really hang in this fight maybe longer than we thought he might?
2: You know, I thought Willie at one point figured out that. As he was moving away, he was getting caught with cleaner shots at, at their length. I think Willie figured out that if he stayed on the inside and, uh, and uh, tried to uh, muffle the, the punches, it was a little easier on him. But Gennady's a big, strong man. He punches very hard and on the inside or on the outside. Once he starts touching you in different spots, and as I think Willie mentioned at the end of the fight, was the biggest uh, issue that he has with Gennady is that Gennady places his punches so well. Uh, not so much uh, that they're thundering punches, but he places them so well that, uh, it just weakens, uh, the opponent and the pressure weakens you also. So, uh, he did a lot of things right. It just, Kinetic's on a different level. Like you said, we're splitting hairs.
0: Right. You know, one of the things that Monroe said after the fight uh, in, a, in in an interview online is that he uh, he put some of that success or, my, you know, measured success, I guess you could call it, uh, that he had on him feeling that that Gennady wasn't uh, a, a great inside or, or fighter at close range. Uh, and I mean, you know, do you do you think he was right or is it just that he it was a better survival strategy for Monroe? Uh, could could Gennady improve as an inside fighter?
2: Well, I'm gonna tell you, uh, the first two rounds were at a distance, and he was hurting him at a distance. Mm-hmm. If he's not a good inside fighter, those next three or four rounds, even though Monroe landed his shot, Kennedy wore him down. Those are the things that are not obvious to the layperson, and they're not obvious to Monroe. But by the by the fourth or the end of the fourth or the fifth, you can see him stumbling, mm-hmm. stumbling not because he was getting hit with great shots, because his legs were gone. Yeah. So all those little touches, all these little touches here, little touches there. Make a difference in wearing somebody down to the point where uh, the knockout is, is, is easier than, uh, so Willie can think that, but I hope that everybody does that. Everybody thinks that so that you can continue to work with those little shots and little, uh, little, uh, hip shots and, uh, little hooks on top of the head. Those things just wear you out. And before you know it, your body, your body's not cooperating no more as it was with Willie.
1: Abel, we saw Gennady put on, you know, to, to, to steal his own phrases, put on another, you know, big drama show in the fact that, you know, 12,000 strong there at the Forum. He's a, a major hit wherever he's going from a marketing standpoint, you know, filled out the arena in New York, it has been so successful in L.A. A lot of it is sort of what I've noticed is this connection with the Mexican fan base, which, you know, it's so it's so clever and so strategic the way that that has worked out for you guys. In your eyes, why do you think the Mexican fan base has sp- – been so quick to adopt him as really one of their own?
2: Because he was vulnerable Because he stood there and took uh, Willie's shot and said, come on. And that's if you go back in history, you go back to Chavez, you go back to some of the Mexican fighters, that's what those Mexicans, you know, the, the um, bravi, bravado, or the machismo, uh, I got caught with a shot, but come on, let's go, let's make this a fight. And I think that the fans uh, like that because of that. It reminds them of, the, of those days. When Chavez was at his at his at his, at his greatness, uh, and then to be able to finish it after you got hit with a good shot, I think that says a lot for for his trying to connect with those uh, with those uh, Latin or Mexican parents.
1: I know you guys have been working great a great job on getting his English up to par, but man, if you can get his Spanish up to that same level, Abel, we got a we got a matinee idol here in in multiple multiple countries, right? Yeah, we're
2: working on it. We're working on it. It's just that it's. Uh, it's difficult for him. He speaks German. He speaks Russian. He speaks Kazakh. He's speaking English now. So it's, it's, a, it's a process, but uh, he's doing better. He's, doing the, he's saying the things that he needs to say uh, to make him understand how much it means. Once he understands that these people are looking for him to do that, he will make more of an effort.
0: Abel, uh, so, you know, sort of there's always been talk about how uh, Gennady came to you sort of, you know, after he'd already accomplished a lot in, in Europe. And uh, had he had he already won uh, his middleweight title by then? No, no. Uh, his yet. first
2: fight with me was for the middleweight title.
0: OK, so but but, ha- you know, has how what you've worked with him a b- over, how's that uh, changed his style? Has it made him more of that fan friendly fighter who, who we're sort of talking about today?
2: I think I made him understand uh, skills he had. He Mm -hmm. won a silver medal in the Olympics, had 350 amateur fights. He's seen every kind of style there is. But what he didn't have is the understanding of how to go about preparing a 12-run fight. That's what you do in the first, what you do in the second, what you do in the third. And and that's kind of what I'm saying about the third and fourth and fifth, how he was breaking Willie down, but Willie didn't even know that. That's what Julio Chavez Chavez did, the, the, the dad, in his heyday, he would break guys down so that at the end of the fight, just like with Taylor, just like with Hernandez, uh, the Puerto Rican, just like with um, Roger Mayweather, all those guys, he broke them down. So I think what I uh, I made him understand is how to do that round by round, how to prepare the opportunities that you want to have in the future in a in a particular fight.
1: I think part of that, Abel, is how he cuts off the ring like nobody's business. It, uh, how much of that is natural with him and how much of that is working with your style?
2: Well, first, when he first came to me, uh, we would spend, uh, after the whole workout, I'd come back to the gym in, in the evening, and we spend an hour, hour and a half in the ring uh, uh, cutting off the ring, showing them what kind of steps I wanted him to take. Uh, and one thing that I do with my guys is I show them, videos of cutting horses. You know what a cutting horse is, right? That, that uh, sport in the rodeo where they, the horse cuts out a cap out of the, out of the, uh, out of the herd and then uh, corners him or puts him in the spot uh, without really the, the jockey doing anything. So the horse is doing all the right steps and right moves, and, and that's what we did with Gennady here. We, we would practice. Uh, I'd get in the ring, and I'd start to move, and, and he'd cut me off. But the most important in cutting off is that first step to the attack. When you cut somebody off and you're going on the same angle, then they're still at a distance. But Gennady seems to have picked up on the fact that once you cut somebody off and you take that first step, it makes that area a heck of a lot smaller.
0: Do you know if he played? Uh, and this is really just coming to my head based off of the 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 kind of the answer you just gave us. Did he play any other team sports growing up? Uh, you know, in Kazakhstan, did he play soccer? I mean, the, the sort of the the sort of beating an, uh, uh, an opponent or in, to the spot that way is something you see in sports, like in the basketball and defense. You know, beat a guy to the spot. Soccer has a, the same kind of angles. Did, did he did he have any background in that for footwork, or is it just something he picked up? You
2: no, know, uh, he played. Uh some soccer, but not really organized soccer. He, uh, he uh, wrestled a lot because that's uh, one of the things in, in those countries that they do a lot of. But no, it was boxing. It was mostly boxing. But uh, the Kazakhstani uh, amateur program is, is so great still that a lot of those fundamentals uh, are instilled in these kids and it's easy for them to pick up on, on other things here in America. Mm-hmm.
1: Abel, break down for me from your point of view. What was the aha moment for you? You know, you you start working with him. You you realize there's something there. What was the moment that went from I got a guy who could be something to really, I got a guy who's showing me the potential for really some all-time great stuff, which I I think he's doing right now.
2: Well, when I uh, uh, researched him after the the, the first uh, time we met, uh, I noticed that he really wasn't a big puncher. I mean, he, he was a, uh, he was knocking guys out, but he really wasn't hurting guys that they, they were afraid of him or avoiding him. Uh, so I didn't really work the mitts with him at the beginning when he first got here. What I had him do in the ring is I had him move around. I had him uh, use the ring a lot to, to, to see if I can get him to be more of a boxer. Uh, once uh, we did that for about a week, then uh, I, I put wraps on him uh, and did the mitts with him. The first time he hit me with the right hand, I thought to myself, hmm, wow, (laughs) we have something here. Because I felt that punch all the way down to my toes. Uh, So it was just a matter of refining it because he had heavy hands. And it was a matter of making sure that he understood that that positioning, angles, balance, discipline of when to throw the punch was very important. So then we started working on that because uh, with that punching power, with that heavy uh, hands that he already had, if he could – just be in the right spot to throw it, it wouldn't have to be hard, just like you saw in the Willie Monroe fight. They don't have to be very hard for them to hurt. That hook that he hit Willie with was a hook that he had really set up. And Willie threw his hook, and he slipped it a little bit and just came across it. You really don't see the the force behind it, but it was just a perfect march.
0: Absolutely. And sort of diving back into more of the sort of the, the lore of, uh, of your guys' start together, there are all these stories about the uh, – the, the sort of the sparring battles you've had up in the summit uh, the times that Canelo Alvarez came up and sparred with with Gennady and, and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Uh, what what specifics what did you see in those sparring sessions what is a scene from say the the sparring session with with Canelo that that you remember you know of, of how how they performed against each other
2: well it wasn't Canelo really the first one that uh, that uh, really uh, opened my eyes or or I saw more it was Angulo came up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gulo's coach at the time was a, a man named Clemente, who's an old, old friend of mine. And uh, he calls me up on a Sunday, wanted to know that if I had sparring. I said sure, uh, and I'm telling you this story because Clemente relayed the story when he went off the mountain mm-hmm. about about the the sparring here. So it's not like I'm uh, bringing out something that uh, trying to hurt Angulo. Gulo's a great fighter. It's just that this particular kid at the time was on a on a different level. But anyway. So uh, we set up the sparring for, for Monday. And, and when uh, he came up, I said to Clemente, how, how many rounds do you want? And he says, you know my, he calls him perro. Mm-hmm. He says, you know my perro goes 10 rounds every day. I said, okay, well, I'll give you as many as I can. <laughs> so they get, they get in the ring, and uh, uh, Angulo has a habit of trying to trying to dominate everybody that he spars with. So they get in, 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 in there, and, and he starts to get a little out of hand. And, and then he hit him with a body shot in the second round, so we have to stop the sparring. It was a great shot because Angulo left himself open because he's trying to be aggressive and uh, to try to settle him down. Uh, and that hit him with a little shot, and, and, and it hurt him. So, Angulo, we start sparring again. And, and To make a long story longer, he ended up only going five rounds that day. Then wow. on, when, on Wednesday they came back, he only went five rounds again. <laughs> on Friday they came back, he only went four rounds that day. <laughs> So on Sunday, this next Sunday, I called uh, and who was the one with the fight that was coming up? We didn't have a fight, so I called uh, Clemente again. I said, "Clemente, do you want a guy? You guys coming up again?" He says, "He said f you. He said that rush is going to kill my perrito. <laughs> <laughs> so it just happened that um, uh, a guy named Max Garcia, who is a trainer from up north of California, uh, uh, was watching. And he called Doug Fisher and poked Doug Fisher about what he had saw, right. What he had seen, I should say. And Doug Fisher was all over it, came back down. It's fine with Canelo. It's, it's, it, it's hard for Gennady to be abusive in the ring. It's hard for Gennady to try to hurt somebody. With Canelo, Canelo was so much smaller that, uh, it, it wasn't work for Gennady. It was, it was more of a, um, trying to allow this little guy to get ready for his fight. I don't think Gennady had a fight yet. And, and, um, and more working with him. And, and if you read a story that Doug Fisher wrote about the sparring that he, that he witnessed, mm-hmm. it says the same thing. Um, but, uh, Canelo's a hell of a fighter. Canelo is, uh, at the time was what, that was three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. He's still a little boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was 20 years old. So, uh, he's turned into a heck of a fighter. We saw the last Brooklyn fight. So, uh, I think that in the near, near future, he's going to be a very, very formidable opponent for us. But uh, the Chavez uh, sparring is on YouTube. I-, I didn't post it on YouTube. There was it just happened to be media day for Chavez in uh, in uh, at the wildcard and uh, I went in and I asked Freddie for some rounds. Uh, we had been down there for some medical appointments, and Freddie said, "I'll give you five with Chavez and five with Quillen, if that's okay." Perfect. Uh, so uh, the video is on 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 YouTube. Like I said, he sparred five with Chavez. And in that process, one of the T V S second guys comes over and whispers behind my back, is, uh, in in bad words, he says, who the heck is that? And I said, uh, <laughs> the kid's name is Gennady Golovkin. And he said, man, he just, he's got a job. And I said, you know, the sad part about it is he's only going 60%, 70%. Oh, I man. said, this is a heck of a fighter. Uh, and then he sparred three with Quillen. I think he cut Quillen over the eye and he stopped sparring. Uh, so um, he, he's... He's not an abusive uh, sparring partner. He's not an abusive person in the ring. But when somebody gets out of hand, uh, you know, he, he's not going to sit back and allow that. But uh, because of he's not abusive, we're able to get a lot of great sparring up here, and we protect him with grip protectors so that nobody gets hurt. And I try not to let him hit too many people to the head and just warm the arms and shoulders so that we can get these guys to, to improve and to help us. If they get better, we get better. Uh, so uh, I think that that, is, that has helped him in his career. Gennady, that is, uh, in, in, in developing what we need to develop.
1: Uh, fantastic storytelling there, Abel. I enjoyed every second of that, believe me. Uh, do you think that played into Chavez's mind at all in part of the reason why he was looking like he was interested in the fight with Gennady and then he sort of pulled out?
2: You no, know, it, it may have. I guess he was having some issues with Bob Arum. Uh, it ended up maybe that fight, that, that fight that was planned back in July of last year, or not this last year, but I think the year before, uh, he was guaranteed something like $7 million plus pay-per-view and $5 million if he lost for the next one. So he was guaranteed a lot of money by Bob, and uh, uh, he ended up fighting. I don't know how much he got for this loss against Santora, but uh, he's inactive, and, and he just... I don't understand. Great talent, great name, great following. Why he's not taking advantage of all these things? Uh, uh, I hope that in the future... Now that he's training with Joe Joe Guzman up there, Joe is a Cardinals trainer. that's going to get into shape and get him down to the weight that he needs to be. I hope that that fight is possible in the future at 150. Because I, uh, back when I had Terry Norris, there was a fight mentioned between he uh, Terry Norris and Julio Cesar Chavez Senior uh, at 147 148 pounds. Uh, it never came off uh, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, now this fight with uh, Junior. I would love to, to be able to say
1: that if I fought one of the Chavez's anyway. <laughs> Abel, the, everybody, you know, the, if anyone had a chance to ask you the, a question, of course the question would be about C- Cotto or Canelo and their prospective interest in fighting Gennady. From where you stand, how would you handicap either of their interest in actually legitimately agreeing to fight Gennady within the next 12 months?
2: I, I think that because of Cotto's long historic career, uh, he really has no desire to fight this kind of fight. Uh, he just signed a great contract with Jay-Z. Uh, to him, is more business than, than really pleasing his fans. Uh, his title is going to be uh, taken away or, or uh, argued uh, in this next fight after he, hopefully he beats Gale, uh because he's supposed to face Gennady or the winner of that fight is supposed to face Gennady in the next fight. Unless Kennedy and, and our people make a, a, a some kind of a financial arrangement with them, uh, as far as Canelo, I think Canelo uh, has a very good chance of beating Cotto if they fight, uh, and Canelo would have more of a uh, a reason to fight Gennady in the future. I think Oscar said something something about a couple of years uh, in the future, and that's because Canelo's still young, is still growing. Uh, so I think that if we have a better chance of fighting Canelo, than we do Cotto.
1: Do you think it's fair what, that Kanoto? That I'm sorry, Kanoto. That, that, how about that guy? Do you think it's fair that that Kodo is essentially hijacking the Laniel title? You know, taking a year off between fights. Now he's fighting a guy. Gennady just blew out. Do you think Gennady would have reason to be upset in this case? Of course,
2: Kodo's not being honorable. When back in uh, in uh, October of last year, we fought Rubio to be the mandatory for the opportunity that Kodo got from the WDC to fight Martinez. When he made that deal with the WBC, he was he understood that he had to fight. He, they would allow him one optional fight, and then he had to fight the winner of Rubio Golovkin sometime this year. Uh, he made that deal with the WBC to get that opportunity against Martinez, or else Martinez probably would have fought somebody else who also fought Golovkin. Uh, now that he has to live up to that uh, that uh, arrangement, he's not being honorable. He's he's backing out because he's being a diva. Uh, uh, he fights Cotto, he fights Gio, and doesn't fight the winner of Golovkin-Rubio uh, in the fall. Then, what does that say about his word?
0: True. Right. All right, Abe. But one one last thing we wanted to ask you about um, was how earlier in their careers uh, you were training both uh, Gennady and uh, Sergey Kovalev uh, up in up at the summit, and they they sparred regularly um, uh, before Kovalev moved on and, and started training with John David Jackson. Um, what was their you know their rapport like? How did they get along? How did they how how did they look together in the ring? And uh, I mean, down the line, uh, could could we see them in a fight together at at some weight, either uh, at light heavyweight or some catchweight below there?
2: Uh, first of all, I had Sergey for eight fights and eight knockouts. I had him. I got him right after he got, got killed by Darnell Boone in his uh, tenth, I think, fight or ninth fight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, John Turner called me up and asked me if I would be interested in working with him, um, and and I and I agreed. Um, no and um, uh, he came out. I thought, uh, I thought that I could use him for sparring with Gennady. Uh, it ended up that the time that I did him, he was definitely afraid to be in the ring with Gennady. I don't know if it was reputation. Uh, but Gennady handled him uh, very easily, and, and uh, Sergey really wasn't uh, the sparring that I thought I was going to get. I uh, had about the uh, fight when we fought in Russia, and he was uh, in a fight with a young man that died. Yeah. Uh, right after that fight... Um, there was a lot of issues leading up to that fight uh with his character as far as I'm concerned. I want to come to my gym and have a good time. I want to come to my gym and, and enjoy my time in my gym and if if uh somebody's character is not what I think it should be, then i, I don't I have no desire to work with him so uh, right around January or february of uh, of of that year uh after that young man died, which would be two or three months after, I called his manager and asked his manager to to take him somewhere else. Uh, but before uh, I did that, I had a, a, a I spoke with Sergey and I told him that he was going to be a world champion in a couple of fights. I told him he was going to be a world champion because of what we had developed here, and but that he had to change his character. He had to change his way of being because this game is not you can't do this game by yourself. Uh, you need other people around you, and you need people that are supportive and loyal to you. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be a, a lonely fighter. Uh, but uh, I knew they he was going to be the real champion, and I told him that. Uh, but I wasn't going to put up with the shenanigans that was happening at the time that I asked him to leave.
0: Can you say sort of what sort of things were turning you off at the time? I, just, I, I have to have a guy with character. I have to
2: have a guy with morals. I have to have a guy with, with the loyalty. Uh, this business is rough enough for the coaches that uh, I didn't feel that he was that kind of person that I wanted to spend my time
1: yeah, but it might be unfair to to even think about Gennady fighting him because of that, you know, two weight classes between them. But is that ever a fight that you entertain in your head for a down the line situation?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. If Gennady's uh, career goes the way that he wants to, and he eliminates everybody at sixty like he wants to, moves up to sixty eight, and that and those those are possibilities in the future. I would have no no hesitation with uh, accepting that fight with, uh, uh, with of course Gennady. Uh, uh, one in that fight at that weight, but uh, I would have no problem with training Gennady
1: for that fight. Well, I think boxing fans around the globe just started pumping fists and shadow boxing at even the idea of it, Abel. So we appreciate you entertaining that question, and we appreciate you, you being so candid with us and giving us such a great breakdown. Uh, Gennady Golovkin gets the 20th straight knockout last week. We know we're going to see him again in a few months. Abel, thanks for taking the time. Good luck to you guys in the future.
2: Thank you very much. It was a lot of fun.
0: Brian, I don't think I can share this podcast with you anymore because (laughs) your character, man, uh, I'm sorry. You might have to go find a new podcast partner. I, I can give you some names. I know some guys out there who do boxing podcasts, uh, but I—it's just a character thing for me.
1: Look, I've long said that Abel is one of the best sleeper quotes in this game. I mean, <laughs> he just—he—he he comes original. You know what I mean? He just brings it. And man, he drops some drops some bombs on us right there. drops some nuggets, some very good stuff. Would you? How much would you have loved to have been a fly on the wall back in these uh, early Triple G sparring sessions oh back in God. the day?
0: I mean, it's every fight that we're dreaming of seeing in, him win now, and sparring i mean you canelo uh sparring with kovalev chavez that the chavez junior fight that was sort of briefly signed or halfway signed that never came off i mean these are these are the fights that we really went
1: crazy for or are hoping to go crazy for someday um um a tidbit um a smidgen <laughs> you know i don't get the message so you got to run the pigeon but man that that guy is is, is on point rafe would you say
0: oh god uh, you know uh yes i i would i would say we, the middleweight, so, so we're talking about Golovkin, the middleweight, his middleweight division. Do you think that's becoming a new glamour division for, for boxing? Because, I mean, is it just because of Golovkin, or is it because of some of the strength of the, the names in it, like uh, Peter Quillen, if Canelo Alvarez eventually rises up? Then you're talking some serious glamour. What, what is it going to take for that to be, to sort of eclipse Welterweight and junior Welterweight uh, as the the, the, the the premier divisions in boxing?
1: I think it's time for the middleweight division. I think with Mayweather and Pat, either, even though 147 and the ones right around it, or we, you know, they've been boxing's money's division. Really, since the fall of the heavyweight division in the late 90s, uh, you know, when you saw that first class of De La Hoya, Trinidad, you know, the end of Pernell-Whitaker, Vargas, those guys, Mosley, coming together, that suddenly became the welterweight was the money division. It's still deep, but with Mayweather and Pacquiao slowly going away probably over the next two years, I think the time is now for middleweight to become the new glamour division because when you look at who's going to carry the reins from a pay-per-view level, you know the lineage from Mayweather-Pacquiao to guys like Felix Verdejo, potentially Vassal Lomachenko, It's not automatic. There's going to have to be the in-between guys to carry the rock. And it just so happens that guys like Canelo and Triple G are the guys right now that are ready to sort of carry that baton. They happen to be in the same division with the guy, Miguel Cotto, who's sort of, you know, the third biggest pay-per-view brand right now, arguably – then you have, you know, to make it a glamour division, you have to sometimes have glamorous looking guys, glamorous looking potential guys for both action. Talking about Andy Lee, right? (laughs) No, talking about David Lemieux's hair actually, you know? And I think that's where the potential is for these guys in the next 12 months specifically to to ease this transition, to really make fun fights. And when you talk about all these guys that that Gennady won't get the chance to fight in the next year that we want, one of the guys that he very well may get the chance is David Lemieux who's, you know, going to fight for a vacant title coming up against Hassan Endom. But can you even I mean, talk about my chemical bromance to see Triple G and Lemieux square up and throw bombs. I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, be- I
0: mean, it would be it's the classic you know fun while it lasts, amazing action fight. Uh, and if uh, if Lemieux manages to land against Golovkin with something serious, you know that would be. And and if Golovkin just shakes that off the way he shook off other guys' punches, then uh, then we can just sort of you know sign his papers as the the most ridiculous fighter alive. Um, but, you know, I, that's, that, that's an exciting fight that we actually may get to see in the near future if, uh, Lemieux is, is able to, to win that vacant belt, uh, against Endom. But here's the thing that might prevent the middleweight division from becoming a glamour division. It's also Gennady Golovkin because if he is as good as some people believe he is or, or as good as he has looked, he might just cut through the whole thing and lay waste to it all before it sort of has time to marinate, as uh, the great Bob Arum would say, about letting, <laughs> letting, letting the sort of hype build up. If he just goes through and starts knocking them down one after another, uh, you know, he may be done with the division and moving up to to higher divisions before – before he get, before it gets a chance to become a, a huge attraction.
1: Well, we all know he wants unification so bad, but obviously he'd reach up, I think, at any point to take a big money fight at 68 that was available, and we know that there's sort of whispers and rumors coming off of Golovkin's victory over Monroe that actually the Carl Frotch fight might actually have legs to potentially do that in Vegas or Wembley Stadium. It would depend on Frotch, you know, pushing 38 to want to put himself into that kind of fight, but... I think Gennady can be in a spot though where he can jump to 68 for a big fight and still be ready to defend or grab more middleweight titles, you know, that, which is just, which would be good for boxing. So, I mean, do you see it sort of playing out like we expect with Koto getting through Giel? We do the Cotto Canelo big fight in the fall and then maybe the winner facing Gennady after that?
0: That would be wonderful if it happens. I think the road to that fight is so choppy that I don't know if I'm willing to to, to sort of say that I feel good about it working out that way. I mean, even even Cotto's defense against Daniel Gale in uh, in next month in June in, in New York is is less of a sure thing than I think a lot of fans believe it will be. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, Cotto you know may not fight again until the following June. Who knows when Cotto decides to fight? You know. So uh, and Miguel Cotto he only. Thinks about what's best for Miguel Cotto. We know this, um, you know. So, uh, or maybe he gives a little smidgen of respect to Brian Perez, his his best friend. Um, but anyway, like you know, Cotto. We don't know when we're going to how how frequently he's going to fight. So, if we're looking at that sort of chain of events, it could be we could be waiting much longer than we want for this Canelo Golovkin or or Canelo uh,
1: or, or Cotto Golovkin fight. Well, before we move on, you got to love, though, when we did ask Abel about the potential of that dream down the road, who knows, super fight with Kovalev for Golovkin, that he was like, yeah, I'll take that fight. Yeah, I've, he, se- I've uh, seen what I need to see. I'll take that fight.
0: I mean, saying he's afraid to get in the ring with him. It's sparring Anyway. <laughs> this, guy, uh, this
1: guy Abel never half steps because he's not a half stepper. Yo, if, you know? uh,
0: if, uh, if the Kovalev people want a, uh, some bulletin board material, as they call it, uh, then uh, Abel hey, is giving it to them. Absolutely.
1: Um, well, let's right. let's transition to a guy who who has been in the ring with Gennady Golovkin, who who put forth that tough performance, like we said last week. Let's talk to middleweight contender Willie Monroe Jr. We are pleased to welcome into the ropes middleweight contender Willie Monroe Jr., who just last Saturday challenged unsuccessfully for Gennady Golovkin's middleweight title at the Forum in Inglewood, California. Willie's the 2014 Boxino middleweight champion. Willie, Brian Campbell here, ESPN.com. Really pleased to have you. Thanks for giving us some time He's so close to, to this fight. Uh, we wanted to get right into it with you. Go ahead, Rafe. Ray. All right, well,
0: sure. Well, like like Brian said, just thank you very much, Willie. And, uh, you know, congratulations on, on winning a lot of fans this weekend and, and fighting, uh, you know, a, a hard fight, even if it didn't, you know, it ended up not being a win for you. But, uh, you know, I think I, we're looking forward to seeing you on TV and HBO again. Um, but, um, you know, before the fight, uh, you, you would, you'd would you been ballsy vocal in, in calling out Golovkin um, and, and saying that you could win this fight. Um, and... and Afterwards, um, you know, did did, you, did he did he end up being a little bit better than you expected? Was it just not did you not feel like it just wasn't your night, you didn't have it? Uh what sort of you know, what how did how did that come out?
3: Oh, it just wasn't my night, that's all. Uh you know, we he worked tremendously hard. we went in and you know, he you know, he ended up showing up being a better player than so you know, that that happened in boxing. Mm-hmm.
1: Willie, I thought you really, you know, the, the I think the best thing you, you can say in this spot is you came to win, man. I mean, you were fearless and se- searching out this fight. I thought you had a strong game plan, and you executed it in a fearless manner, made a great showing for yourself. You had some, some real pockets of success there, especially in that fourth round. What do you think you were able to do that other opponents really haven't been able to, to have those moments against Golovkin? Uh, just
3: be able to stay composed and, and uh, be able to squish my game plan on I uh, I went in one box. If you saw the first round, I was moving and boxing. The canvas was pretty soft, though. It was almost like quicksand. So I was like, you know, after, I was like, you know, I'm going to just keep trying to box, you know, because, you know, you know, for a boxer, a soft ring is like kryptonite. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, uh, after, and then when I got dropped, I said, look, you know, I'm just going to have to go toe to toe with this guy. You know what I mean? And, and, and cause he's coming. I don't have, you know, anything, and like I said, not to make any excuses, but, you know, I was like, I don't have the ring that I wanted, so I'm just gonna have to go toe to toe with this guy. And, uh, he kept hitting me, uh, on, I noticed one thing he does is he hits you on the hip and like, like the hip flexes and like around the butt area. So my, 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 uh, my leg, my right leg in the front <laughs> locked up on me. So I said, you know, I might as well just sit in the pocket and bang this guy. I know I have fast hands, just, uh, go ahead and fight to, you know, until I have no more, you know
0: so willie in the in that fourth round when you were you know there was a, a couple exchanges where you really uh started landing pretty uh, not just pretty but but effective combinations on golovkin um what what was going through your mind at that point in time did you feel like you might be turning the fight a little bit uh was or was there you know when when he gestured back for you to come on was it almost like oh oh damn man he's he's he nah, he he's got a chin too
3: I was just fighting, man. I, yeah. nah, I, I didn't I to know what was going on. I was just fighting. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm a boxer first, but, you know, once I get hit with something I don't like, you know, I I, I go on the fight mode. It's just me. You know, um, So I was just fighting. I didn't know what happened, what was going on. It was just like, all right, you know, let's, let's throw hands now, you know.
1: Willie, we've seen guys taste get just get that taste of Gennady's power in the past, and, and sometimes fold completely. Sometimes just not be the same. I, I thought the greatest testament to you in this fight is that you you had your best moments after sort of enduring that rush in that second round where you were floored twice. Was there something that that you that you uh, that you you know dug in with it within yourself to pull from in order to get up off the canvas, but still be able to settle yourself and still be able to try to instill your game plan despite sort of having some rough moments early.
3: That just—that's just me, you know. I can't really attribute that to anything. That—that just—that's just who I am as a person, you know. That's, you know, I, it's, it's easy for me to compose myself. It wasn't much, you know. I can't lie to you guys. It wasn't—it wasn't so much the force on his punches, you know. I—I uh, never felt the glove that hard, so you know, maybe he is as heavy-handed as people, you know, talk about. But you know, I felt—I never felt the glove, you know, that—that that texture. It wasn't really like that the punch. It wasn't like it, you know. The, the you know, I've been, I can't even lie, to you, I've been hit by heavier punches. It wasn't really the punch; it was like the, the fill of the glove. It's like, damn, like, but it is what it is.
0: Sure. So, one thing I wanted to ask about Willie is, you know, ringside observers, people, fans on TV, you know, they can see, uh, you know, they see. Golovkin gets his knockouts. He's, he, you know, he's a power puncher. He, he can, they can observe a little bit how he cuts off the ring. What's something that that you, as a fighter who's who's been in the ring with him, uh, picked up on about him that that you know sort of us who are just watching maybe wouldn't have seen? What's some of the subtle things about fighting him?
3: I mean, I mean, when you're in there with a bully or you know knockout Victor or bully, so to speak, you know when you stand up to him, you see him. You know, regress a little bit. You know, and I think that's what happened in between the third and the fourth and the fifth round around that time, where he wasn't able to be as effective as he was in the second and then in the sixth. Uh, you know, just you know, just standing up to someone who you know who who has a power edge over you, just, you know, a little bit of a size edge over you. you just you just stand up to him. You know, that's that's just my men- that's just my mentality. Absolutely. So maybe if he gets in there with a bigger guy like a Quillin or or Andy Lee, somebody who's a little bigger than me you know, who carries a little bit more strength in me, uh and, and if they decide to step to him and, and stand to him, maybe they could be a little bit more effective than me just just out of size matter.
0: For sure. Now, I, I also wanted to ask, you know, there there were parts in the in the fourth round when you guys started fighting a little closer and that was something that was adjustment you made, um, where Golovkin looked like he was trying to plant his forehead directly on yours and almost like look you eye to eye while while you're there. What what did you what's that about as a fighter? Is that uh is that him trying to con- control distance? Was that some sort of psychological thing? What what, what... I mean, If
3: you if you watch a fight, it was you know, he was he would stop and I would plant my forehead on his. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't him, it was it was me more or less saying it it excuse my language, I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's all good. <laughs> it's you know, more or less just saying, you know, forget it, let's fight. You know what I mean? You know, you wanna bang, we're gonna bang, you know, that's that's just my mentality. You know I mean? People label me as a boxer first. Which is true, you know. What I mean, I like the boxing move, and if I can get the victory that way, but I mean, if, you know, sometimes when sometimes you just throw all caution to the wind and be like, let's throw these in, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Willie, what's the one thing that that you can take out of this fight as sort of a a lesson or, or something to build upon that you can use as a positive to grow?
3: Um, this is just this is more or less going to going to help me grow mentally and uh, spiritually and psychologically, you know, just to. Uh, to not give up, you know. Um, uh, I'm only 21 fights deep, and, and and uh, I'm happy and elated that I got the opportunity. You know, I, I make no excuses, and uh, God doesn't make mistakes. And uh, this right here, the learning experience is going to come in my next fight when I see how I return from this. You know, it's not nothing that I learned from the fight. Um, when my next fight, when, when we see how I come back. That's going to be what the learning experience is. You know, do I have the grit and the, and the and the you know the tenacity to come back and do better and get back in line like I was, or you know, am I going to falter? It? That's yet to be seen. We'll see when I come back. You know, HBO said that they're looking forward to having me back, but well, hopefully it'll be an HBO fight. You know, you never know. But you know mm-hmm. how I come back will be that we'll, we'll show everybody what lesson was learned.
1: Well, you made an incredible leap, you know, in just over a year. You know, jumping on the scene in that ESPN2 Boxino tournament, you got a a chance to fight three times in about three and a half months on ESPN. You won that tournament, looked impressively, had that fight against Brian Vera on ESPN, which really furthered, you know, furthered the awareness of you. But but taking a leap of this level is much bigger. So what did you what did you sort of you know get the feeling about being in a moment like this, jumping up to to center stage, you know, being the being the being in a main event on this level, much anticipated one. How do you sort of frame what that experience was like for you?
3: Uh, it was a cool experience. You know, it was a cool experience. Uh, I uh, you know I can't wait till I'm able to fight my way onto the A side so I can have those perks. You know what I mean? 'Cause being on the B side wasn't wasn't the best. But, you know, it's uh you know, that's how you fight your way to the A side. Is, you know, you get off the B side. You know, some fighters have to fight them fight their way from the B side to the A side. Some fighters have the right people in place to make sure that they're always on the A side. You know, that's just the name of the game. Some people have it. You know, some people have it in their corner, some people don't. You know, some people can fight there, some people can't. So uh you know, that's that's the only thing that's the only thing that uh, that I take from it and, and hopefully like I said I can fight my, my way from the B side to the A side next time and, and, and get some of that treatment. There
0: you go. Uh Willie, I wanted to ask sort of a hypothetical question. Um Say, you know, a couple of years down the line, you know, you've fought a bunch more times, you've, you've won, you know, you keep winning for the next couple, the next two, three years. And Golovkin is still out there, you know, and it, and it makes sense for you guys to fight again. Say, hey, he said, hey, he had success back in the day and, and then he got, you know, and now he's, he's on a roll. How would you approach a second fight, you know, a, a little older, a little more experienced? Uh, what would you go into that second fight trying to do differently maybe than, than you did this first time around?
3: I can't okay say because I know in those years of maturing that uh, the native will mature. So if he sure. stays on top, you know, within the next two years and, you know, I fight my way back and grab a belt and he wants to, you know, like you always say, unify, mm-hmm. if he's still there, then, uh, and, we, and we can go ahead and unify, then uh, I'll just have to execute, you know, like I always do, which is on the drop of a dime. You know, you can't negate the fact that in a couple more years he'll mature also. So he won't be the same Gennady I fought, you know, a couple nights ago, and I won't be the same Willie Monroe. No
0: doubt.
1: Willie, from, from what you learned about Gennady in this fight, because it's been hard for us observers, fans, experts alike, to really know exactly what we have with Golovkin, you know, because he hasn't been able to get sort of the, the upper, upper, upper elite names, guys that he's sort of going after. But what you learned about him from this fight, how do you think he fares against a guy like a Miguel Cotto or against a Canelo Alvarez? Is there anyone at 160 that, that could give this guy a problem?
3: Um, I think maybe I think Peter Quillard could give him a problem. Just because Peter's a lot bigger. Peter's a, you know, a a big middleweight. Um, and Peter likes to fight. So, I mean, if Peter's inside game is great, he could definitely give, uh, he could could possibly beat, uh, Triple G. You know, he's a little taller. You know, uh, he's bigger. So, you know, if if he executes the right game plan, he could beat Triple G. Um, I think Cotto's just too small. You know, I'll spar with Cotto and Cotto, you know, I I know Cotto well. Cotto's now, he's, you know, he's, he's even small for 54. You know, uh, Cotto made history by being the first, uh, Puerto Rican fighter, you know, from the island to actually conquer four weight classes. And I think that's, a a, a, a tremendous accomplishment on Cotto. But I really don't think Cotto has too much to prove at middleweight just because he's not a middleweight. Now, when he fought Sergio Martinez, he came in at 155 pounds, he came in basically at 54. He's, Cotto's not, he's just not a middleweight. You know, I know that they want that fight, but, you know, it, 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 to me, it doesn't make sense. Um, Canelo Alvarez would make more sense. I think Canelo Alvarez, uh, I would give Canelo the the the, the edge against um, Triple G just because of what I was able to do on the inside. Being that inside, I can fight well on the inside, but it's just not my cup of tea. And what I was able to get off, and I have fast hands, I was able to get off pretty well. Um, someone like Canelo is very, very fast, and he's very good on the inside, and he's a very good body puncher. And um, I think, you know, Canelo's maybe, a, maybe an inch shorter, but Canelo's also a big boy, too. You know, and I sure. think at middleweight, you know, I think Canelo won't have to really shrink down and make 54. I think if they put that middleweight, I would have to give Canelo that. Canelo's not, you know, everybody say Mexican style, Mexican style. Canelo's not your quintessential Mexican style type fighter. You know, he uses the shoulder roll, he uses his jab. Has, you know, he has like really, really fast reflexes and foot movement, he has great counters. You know, he's not your quintessential, you know, super, you know, Mexican-type fighter. You know, and, and he's, you know, I, I don't know. I think I think Canelo's one of the, the most talented fighters out there, actually. I think he gives him problems. I think out de Lara would definitely give uh, Triple G worlds of problems.
1: That you know, would be I, an I interesting would, fight. That would be yeah, very would interesting. Be an, yeah.
3: I want to do what Lara would have been, what Lara would do, but, you know, for Lara had a little bit more uh, clout, you know, in the promotional, and he would probably be able to make sure... That he didn't have the type of ring that I have, but you know, that's neither here nor there. People don't understand that, you know, people that don't understand Fox don't understand the little things that that play into how a fighter will fight.
0: So. Sure. All right. Now, uh, one thing before before we get out of here, I, I you know, it's sort of a detour, but but I really had to ask. Uh, Brian was telling me before Willie that that. For a time, you know, you you had a R and B group with your brother Trent. Uh, it was called yeah. Signature. I mean, um, so like on top of belt the belts you may someday continue to gain. You have pipes. Uh, I mean, um, what's uh, well, what was that like? And uh, how long did you do it? You know, what what kind of style was it? What what were some of the groups you you sort of categorized yourself with? Well,
3: we were uh, a male group R and B and hip hop. Um, we all graduated from Performing Arts School up here in Rochester called School of the Art. We we're all vocal and piano majors. You know, I grew up singing in church. You know, when I grew up, everything was boxing school and church. So, you know, I found my musical ear in church. And uh, we were together for seven years. We opened for major acts. We opened for Trey Song twice. We opened for Genuine Tank. Um, we opened for Jay Holiday. We went for a bunch of big acts. We were on a roll. You know, actually, one time I fought on HBO Undercard when Birdo fought King Connor. And two weeks later, we opened up for Trey Songs back in our hometown. So while I was in training camp, my my group was like skyping me, you know, rehearsal moves and dances that we had to have, you know. So, I mean, it was cool. We had a we had a really good run, but uh, you know, after seven years, we broke up. And I just, you know, me and my brother, we were like, "Yo, we're brothers. We can't break up." So, you know, you go 100 with the music, and I told my brother, "I will go 100 with the fight," and we'll use this Team Monroe movement, and um, you know, and put our city on the mat. And we're doing our city, you know, uh, we're doing them justice, and. And, and our family name and is it's moving along pretty well.
1: How do you compare the, the you know, the pressure and the limelight of, of stepping between the ropes and, and stepping on stage, you know, with, with a similar audience staring back at you?
3: Ain't nothing like stepping in the ring, you know. <laughs> you know, I love stepping on stage. It's cool, you know, the girls scream. You take your shirt off, the girls may scream. <laughs> but it's nothing like, you know, it's nothing like stepping between those ropes because I'm in my element. Being between those ropes can sometimes be the most scariest place in the world but it's also the most comfortable place in the world for me. So I'm in my element, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a double-edged sword when it comes to that feeling in the ring. It's very exil- uh, um, auxiliary, I would say, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's it's pure ex- ecstasy to be able to step into the ring. You know, like when I stepped into the ring against Gennady that night, man, I just, just the feeling, the feeling in my mind and my heart was like, I've arrived, I'm here, you know, this is what I was going to do.
1: Well, you're, you're a native of Rochester, like you said. I've done a little time in the 585. My wife's got some family there. And I've oh, taken great. a massive – but I took a massive L there, Willie. i got to tell you about this. they got these things called the garbage plates. They're famous. Ray, if you ever hear about these <laughs> I've, things – I've heard about yeah. it, but I haven't, it's I haven't a, eaten it. It's a paper plate covered with burgers, beans, home fries. Now, I can put some things down, despite what people might think. I can put some food down. Willie, I stepped up to the plate twice against these things. I don't even think I made it a quarter of the way through. I was tapping out already. Even though you didn't get past Golovkin, can you get past the garbage plate?
3: I can get past the garbage plate. <laughs> I've been here long enough. I know. I faced the garbage plate enough times. I think the garbage plate, the garbage plate has me beat. But I've gotten past it a couple
0: times. Is there a strategy? Is there is it an order of you got to eat things in a certain order?
3: No, nah, you, you just have fun. You just, you know what, what else can you do with a garbage plate? You know, people may be like, "Oh, that sounds crazy," but man, listen, the, the fries and the burger and the, the, the vegetables and all oh, man, the onions and the sauce is just. There's some things that you can't get anywhere else but Rochester, you know.
1: Hey, I bet they can take you into some deep waters, though. You know, you got to be amped up. You got to be trained and ready to take on take on the garbage yeah. plate.
3: But you know, yeah, you got to be trained and ready to take on the garbage plate. <laughs> you got to grow up on that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Willie, we appreciate it so much. You coming on, giving us some great insight. So close to the fight, you know, breaking things down. We wish you a ton of luck. Thanks so much for taking the time and joining the ropes.
3: Uh, thank you guys very much. God bless you guys.
0: Thank you. All right, we're back from that interview with Willie Monroe Jr. And and even though we've spent almost this entire podcast discussing uh, Gennady Triple G Golovkin, uh, there was another extremely exciting, extremely talented fighter on the HBO show last Saturday night. Of course. Mr. Omar Sosa? No. um, No, 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 no. Um, Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez, the 112-pound, is that flyweight, super fly? That is flyweight. Yes, I got my my little little guys right. Roman Gonzalez, one of the best fighters in the world, making an incredible, a very impressive uh, HBO debut.
1: Absolutely. I mean, look, this guy's already a three-division titleist at age 27. If you're a hardcore fan, you've already been known about this guy for a while, but you've been watching him on on grainy internet streams or sort of, you know, on on Nicaragua. I've never TV seen him links. not on YouTube. Exactly. I mean, he only had one U.S. appearance on a lower-level cable network at one point when he fought Estrada, of course. But this was his coming-out moment. I already had him at number 2 Pound for Power coming in, and I think he was explosive. He was almost like a miniature version of Triple G. But if we really break it down and if you really watch his recent fights before this, you'll realize that he's actually maybe a little bit even better than Triple G. He might
0: be a G. better pure boxer, yeah.
1: All-around pure boxer, has just as much ridiculous, absurd power. When he's moved up in weight twice, the power carried with him. And I know you say, well, he's only moving up three pounds in some of these weight classes. but but obviously that gap means more at the at the lower end. He's been absolutely ridiculous. Fought a legit guy in Edgar Sosa, a legit veteran, and just absolutely blew him away. Rafe, this guy is uh, – I hope HBO continues to commit to this guy sure. because – I-
0: let me – I, I can't even remember if I said Edgar Omar Sosa two minutes ago. This is sort of my my problem with – at least for me as a fan and then you could – this is my – Don't get all BJ This, Flores, is, my honest, weak- right? this is my weakness uh, that I just have a hard time gauging how great these fighters are because I – you know, because of what's available to us on US TV. Uh, I don't see that many of them. I've seen probably – I've seen – you know, Chocolatito's last six or seven fights probably, but I, they're, they've all, with the exception of uh, of Estrada, um, Juan Francisco Estrada, that fight, I, they're all against guys who I don't really know who they are or how good they are relative to to other fighters. So it makes it hard for me to, to figure out if I really would put him number two pound for pound at such a high spot in the game when… You know, it's, it's, it's very hard for me to compare a guy like that. I think um, he
1: might, you know, I think he's faced, faced better competition, though, comparatively than Golovkin. You know, and he did blow through Akira Yagashi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, blown through, good. you know, Francisco Rodriguez Jr., who, who was in a fight of the year candidate last year, probably should have been the fight of the year. Tough guy. I mean, he's, he's blown through who he's needed to, and he's looked fantastic doing it. I mean, this guy, it's the right time for him to make his leap here. He's legit. He's for real. Buy into it. Why, on, why would
0: it. he be above, uh, above, Rigan you know Rigando on on. Uh, I, I think because he's
1: boundaries. he's busier, he's fought you know a deeper level of competition. You know going to slowly fade a bit the the less he fights anybody. You know, and the more he struggles against uh, guys twice his size in Japan on New Year's Eve. Well, I know people are already watching.
0: talking about it. Is 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 Chocolatito ballsy enough to try to get up to 122 to fight to fight? Yeah, th-
1: that's all pipe dreams. I, I mean, eventually he's going to move up, but I mean, he has two legitimate huge fights for those weight classes in sure. front of him with, with the rematch against Estrada and then that super fight with it. Aoa Inui, you yeah. know, the the, the, the guy, guy who we, we can go a long time on, on alone. I mean, when, if that guy can get some HBO time, you can yeah. really see that build into and,
0: and there are a ton of other fun fighters. I mean, Brian Veloria is still around and a little bit, of a little bit old. Giovanni Segura. You know, there's the, 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 he can have a lot of fun down there between 112 and 115. 18, uh, 18 is a little bit high, but still, there's a lot of great fights down there. Um, Before we get out of here, Brian, uh, we wanted to mention a couple of these upcoming PBC cards. Uh, first off this weekend, PBC on NBC, Andre Durrell is fighting James DeGale, the British super middleweight, uh, in Boston uh, like I said another NBC PBC show uh, you know are you excited about this what's the, what's the
1: yeah I, I like this one this says uh, you know I mean I like chess message in, the, in this one with two southpaws both with Olympic experience you know great amateur careers there's chess match potential but I think there's sneaky action and dr- drama potential because this fight means so much I mean Darrell's been five years since we saw him in a big fight you know when he had that weird ending in the Abraham fight yeah. with the DQ he slowly built himself back but we've been waiting a long time I mean this is sort of the he's one of those wild card guys that I think can give Triple G a, a really tough battle at 68 if that ever, you know, grows into something. He's a tough fighter. DeGale's hungry, been blowing through guys, really 10 wins in a row since that loss to Groves. This is a real legit fight. I mean, I'm not, I'm hoping not to sound like a hopeless romantic, but this is a, a, a good fight, it, you know, in a good spot here on PBC. I'm very much looking forward to
0: it. No, I'm with you, man. I mean, they're, this, they're, they're, they're good fighters. I don't care if they're, you know, what we classify necessarily as exciting fighters. These are really talented guys, and it's always, it's always interesting to see how that matches up. And, and, and whose talent or intangibles or whatever combination of it prevails. And plus, this is important, a sneaky important division. You know, it's been sort of dormant because of Andre Ward's inactivity True. and all these other things. But we're talking about... Uh, you know, Ward finally coming back and hopefully becoming a more busy fighter. And Golovkin, you know, people are constantly calling for him to move up to 168 pounds someday. If that happens, these guys, these are the kind of guys he would end up facing there. And they those could be really interesting fights. And we, I want to see how these guys, you know, stack up against each other. And I also want to sort of imagine what it's going to be like if, if uh, Golovkin ever does make that leap.
1: Absolutely. And, and, you know, the PBC is hitting us up with some, some good matchups in a row. You know, one we're not going to talk about now, but we got Adrian Brunner, Sean Porter coming up down the road. That's a great fight. But more importantly, more immediately, Friday, May 29th at, at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. I'll be there. It's a PBC on Spike TV card. Amir Khan headlining against Chris Algieri. Reef, very, very interesting fight, right? Or am I just eating too many avocados?
0: Uh, you know, yeah, the, the, that, that, the, the avocados might be going to your brain, man. I mean, this is, interesting is about as far as you can go for this fight. Uh, It's just... I don't know. I mean, I'm more excited about the jokes that will be made about these guys on Twitter during (laughs) fight week and during the actual fight, uh, than, than the actual, you know, than, than, than what will happen in the ring. I I could be proven wrong. We know that Algeria is going to try and move in box and have, well, we don't, I guess we don't know that, but we, we should probably expect that. Uh, and Khan is going to show up and, and I guess it'll be interesting to see how good he can look against Algeria. Can, can he look as good as Manny Pacquiao did last year, uh, you know, when he knocked, Algeria down six times, created a great social media moment, thanks to courtesy of Tim Lane, you know, did all of these things. And, <laughs> and, and also, does Algeria then become the new age Andre Berto, i.e. the bridge to Floyd Mayweather, if Khan can look good against Algeria and then get a Mayweather fight down the line?
1: You know, but he's going to be with John David Jackson this time. He's going to look different. I think at worst, this fight looks like when Khan fought Paulie Malignaggi. And I think at best, maybe it's a little bit of an interesting fight. But I think it, you know, for free TV on a Friday night to get Amir Khan in New York, I think I think it's a, you know, that's a good offering against a a guy who is at least, you know, somewhat legit, credible. You know, can can work, has some speed. You know, is an interesting, crafty guy. No doubt. Uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm down for that.
0: Yeah, you know, one weird thing about these PBC fights, and and maybe it's part of their design, is that they come up so fast. They come up with with sort of almost they almost take you by surprise. You're like, oh wait, that's next week. You know, and like they're consistent. They're they're consistent, and it, I guess it's what it's sort of maybe doing is taking away the the sort of star power from the fights and and the the, the marquee attractions because you know on a premium net- network, and a Amir con fight would be something they put a lot, some promotion into, uh, and not to say that PBC is not promoting these fights they are well i guess technically they might not be since al Heyman is not a promoter um but you know i they they it just sort of is like i guess it feels like they're trying to create this thing where you turn you tune in to see boxing and you know you're going to see a good boxing match or some good boxers but you're not like awaiting amir khan's return you're not awaiting danny garcia's return or whoever it is it's sort of this this true
1: slightly different feel but, if this is sort of a, a, a tune up showcase opportunity for Khan, you could do worse than this on a Friday night, no, you know yeah, so i mean, I mean normally i 'm just watching shane mosley 's Twitter feed you know that 's what i'm because that thing's off the rails right now well, but lastly, you know,
0: before we get out of here we 're talking about you know boxing on Friday nights, and you know you know where we 're going uh, this this Friday is. ESPN's final Friday night fights broadcast uh, before you know a number a deal with PBC comes in and they start putting fights on ESPN. Uh, I mean, Brian, you've worked on Friday night fights. As uh, I mean, you've been on television there. You've uh, you've written up uh, how like dozens, if not hundreds, of of fight cards. Uh, after and you've been to so many. Uh, how what is a, you know, what's it like to see this franchise? closing down for now and uh, and sort of what are some of your favorite memories
1: yeah, it's a little interesting because, you know, the PBC on ESPN is going to launch July 11th with much better matchups, which is really, you know, the monthly setup on regular ESPN. That's the draw. But there's just a, a love affair people have with Friday night fights. You know, it's a certain – the fights level out at a certain point because of the budget, yet we've seen a lot of sneaky good action fights. You know, the premise of a, a brand like FNF is to give you the fighters on the rise or the name fighters maybe on the way out looking for, for a get-well opportunity. Yet in between that, we've seen some really memorable, really fun fights. I mean, the the card the 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 brand is almost as known for sort of you know you'll never know what you're going to expect tuning in to see Teddy Atlas, which is something in itself. Absolutely. You know, it was it was a brand that launched Max Kellerman. I mean, Nigel Collins on ESPN has a great uh, column this week looking back on the history of the series that which started with Max Kellerman and Brian Kenny and, and Teddy Atlas. It, it, it's sad in that regard that the weekly brand is coming off the year. We saw you know the Mickey Ward Emmanuel Augustus fight of the year. We saw that Delvin Rodriguez Pavel Wolak. We've seen oh a lot God. of memorable fights that have come out of this. A lot of memorable moments. It'll be sad in that regard but I think in the meantime we are going on to some really fun things up ahead with some big fights coming on ESPN that haven't been announced yet.
0: I am going to, you know, I, I don't know what how what my excuse is going to be. How I'm going to find a new excuse to be, you know, drunk by uh, I don't know 7:30 p.m. on the West Coast on a Friday night, you know, in, on my couch. Uh, it's, uh, it's a it's a big big hole in my week right now.
1: I have to fill it with the uh, with the PBC out of locations apparently.
0: No, I'm just going to be you know working,
1: grinding, you know, like getting getting back in shape, you know. You want to know the rest? Hey, bother the rights. <laughs> How bizarre!
0: <laughs> All right, man. Um, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for the ropes this week, uh, Brian. Thanks for being here with me. Uh, I also want to thank, or we also want to thank, uh, both Abel Sanchez and William Monroe Jr. for joining us and giving us a lot of time and some great insight.
1: Uh, we hey, want- forget using the AK. Today was a good day to get those two guys yeah. on here. Very strong interviews. There, there's more
0: song. songs. Like, we want to be doing this long enough that you don't run out of songs next week. <laughs> Uh, or well, we we'll probably aren't going to be here next week, but we'll be back before the uh, Miguel Cotto Daniel Gill fight to to bring everyone up to date on whatever's happening in boxing and, and talk about that.
1: Uh, thanks to everybody for the bites. tweets, though. You, you know, for thanks for the thanks all the Continue. fans are, that. Yeah. Keep leaving reviews. Keep keep rating us. Keep doing all those things. Check us out You know, on the ESPN Radio app, on iTunes, wherever you can find us here. We're, we're looking forward to
0: it. And thanks again to uh, Joe Fuentes for producing us and David Jacoby for overseeing all of us here at Grantland. Uh, thank you very much. And we're out.
1: Thank you for listening to Grantland.
2: To hear more Grantland shows in your ear balls, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.